You're listening to audio from New King Church. If you'd like to get our weekly sermons, hit subscribe. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit newkingchurch.com. Reading from the book of Matthew, chapter 1. The, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nation, and Nation the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, and Abiud the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliud, and Eliud the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Mathan, and Mathan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were fourteen generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, fourteen generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. The word of the Lord. Thank you, everybody, for being here. It's, it's great to see everybody here um, and the beautiful masks everybody's wearing, which is awesome. Um, and uh, this is our third time together in person uh, back at services. And so we just welcome everybody that's listening or watching from home to um, that we would love to see you here in the future but it's great that we have two services available for people to come and join us. Um, and thank you um, to Blair for the perfect reading of the genealogy. There's been no more perfect reading that I've heard. Um, and just this is great. And so um, today we're starting this new series in the book of Matthew. And we're calling it, uh, the uh, this beginning of this series, we're calling it Kingdom Come. And we'll be going through the book of Matthew over the next year. Um, but this beginning of this first series is called Kingdom Come, and today's story um, is going to be focused on the origins of Jesus, Jesus' origin story. And the book of Matthew, you know, Matthew is going to describe in this book what the kingdom is like that God is going to be bringing through the person of Jesus onto earth, what the kingdom is like, who the major characters are uh, in this kingdom, and Matthew's going to describe the type of people that 
are invited to participate in this kingdom. And so we'll be going through this series over the next year. Uh, so everyone has uh, an origin story, right? All of us have an origin story. The story where they came from or how you came to be. And most of us start with like our birth story. That's where we start. But I'm going to start today in 1936 uh, when my grandfather, my mother's father, uh, left southeast China for Cambodia. And at the time, there was a growing conflict between China and Japan that led to the Second Chinese-Japanese War, also known as the Sino-Japanese War in 1937. My grandfather fled. He decided to flee, and he immigrated to Cambodia, and he joined um, his older brother, who had also fled to Cambodia a few years earlier, and helped um, his older brother at a candy shop that, my, 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 uh, that his older brother had opened. He was selling candy and bread to the Chinese population in Cambodia. There in Cambodia, he meets my grandmother, who's Chinese-Cambodian, and uh, 16 years later, my mother is born to them. Now, just like her father, um, years later in 1979, after surviving four years of the Khmer Rouge Holocaust, the Cambodian Genocide, my mother had to make a decision, too, of whether to stay or flee. And so this Cambodian conflict had torn her first marriage apart. Um, one of her children had died, and all she had left was um, another child, a girl, a four-year-old girl. She put that four-year-old girl on her back, and she ran on foot to Cambodia through the jungle to Thailand. And in Thailand, in the refugee camp, she met my father. And they applied to go to France. My father had a relative in France, so they applied to go to France. But the second choice, when you do a refugee application, you pick three countries that you want to go to. And on the second, they chose the U.S., the USA. And um, they were selected. In 1981, they were selected to come to the USA and arrived in Tempe, Arizona in 1981. And I was born a month after. Now, I could have started my origin story with, in 1981, I was born to two parents that came from Cambodia. I could have started there. But didn't, know, didn't knowing that part of my history give you a much richer, deeper picture of who I probably am and who I am today? That I come from two generations of people that have fled their home countries because of conflict and war. That information probably gives you insight into the rest of my life, how I think, how I perceive the world, how I probably grew up in Arizona in the desert being one of the few Asian kids at my school amongst mostly white and black and Hispanic kids, right? Imagine if my grandfather in 1936 had made a different decision. Imagine if he had decided to stay in China, how that one decision change the trajectory of his grandkids' future. It would have decided whether his grandkids were born in China or born in America like I was. That one decision of huge impact. So today, we'll see the author of this book, Matthew, the Apostle Matthew, one of the original 12 disciples, 
we'll see him tell us the origin story of Jesus, but he doesn't start with just Jesus' birth. He starts, he starts thousands of years ago from the birth of Jesus with Abraham. No other gospel starts this way, only the gospel of Matthew out of the four gospels. But Matthew wants to start with Abraham, and I'm going to talk about why. And we're going to see today, this, there's three things we're going to learn. The significance of genealogy and history in your life and in mine. How God uses completely broken, messed up people to make his plans come to fruition. And he still does that today. And how Jesus is the defining mark of not just the Jewish people, but of all of history, including yours and mine. All right, so point number one, the significance of genealogy and history. So what do we know about Matthew? Matthew is one of the 12 apostles or disciples, and in the book of Matthew, he tells us his own story. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 9, he tells us this story that, Jesus, that uh, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at a tax booth, and he said to him, follow me, and he rose up and followed him. So what do we learn about Matthew? Well, in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus had just healed a paralytic man at a house nearby. So Matthew either most likely saw that crowd and saw the healing, or he at least heard about it. Because in those towns, they weren't huge. You're going to hear about everything. So Matthew now is, we know also he's a tax collector. A tax collector was a Jew who decided to represent the treacherous, oppressive Roman government that was oppressing his own people. So Matthew decides that's the job he wants because what tax collectors were known to do were to skim at the top. They would actually over-collect money in the name of collecting from the government that they represented, and then they would take portions at the top and pocket it for themselves, sometimes doubling or tripling or quadrupling what, they act, what the person actually owed in taxes just so they could profit in their own pockets. So Matthew's a traitor to his own people, and Jesus comes along and invites him to follow him. And Matthew, probably going, well, you just healed this paralytic man. I'd be an idiot not to follow you. I got to go see what this is all about. Follows him. Matthew, shortly after, right after that, he throws a party. And we see Matthew invite of course, his friends. And who are his friends? The only friends he's going to have are not obedient Jewish people. They're going to be other tax collectors who are also in the game with him and sinners. And he invites them over to, to have a party. So Matthew's a party guy. He loves to have people over. He invites Jesus and his disciples. And in response, the Pharisees say in verse 11 of chapter 9, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when Jesus heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick do. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous but sinners. This gives us insight into how Matthew viewed himself. Matthew viewed himself not as the perfect obedient Jew, but even as he's writing this book, Matthew still viewed himself as a sinner, as a sick person that needed a Savior, as a sick person that wanted what Jesus was willing to offer, 
He did not see him good, himself good enough to be even correlated with the righteous Pharisees, even though he was a follower of Jesus. He saw himself as somebody broken that needed what Jesus had to offer. And we also know that Matthew liked to throw parties. So Matthew starts this book, chapter 1. If you look at verse 1 of chapter 1, it starts with the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Notice how it says in the book, it says book in verse 1. It doesn't say chapter or this section or this is the list. The actual word translated is the book. Some scholars believe that Matthew is actually titling the whole genealogy as the whole book. The book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew, is the whole genealogy of Jesus. That's how important this history is. It's not just this section. It's the whole book that's the genealogy of Jesus, the history of Jesus. When you read the genealogy, Matthew ties Jesus all the way back to Abraham, right? He goes back to Abraham. The Gospel of Luke also provides a genealogy, but Luke goes all the way back to Adam. Now, why doesn't Matthew go back to Adam and instead stops at Abraham? Why does he stop at Abraham? Because Matthew remembers a Jew, and the Jewish people descend from Abraham, Matthew is trying to establish Jesus' origin in the father of their faith, whom the Jews considered to be Abraham. And whenever you read the Old Testament, you'll see, you'll always say, the God of Abraham. It'll start with that, the God of Abraham. Because Abraham is the man, the human being that God makes a covenant with, that eventually leads to the creation and birth of the people of Israel, that leads to the selection of David as king because of that kingdom, that eventually leads to the, uh, the, the deportation of that kingdom into Babylon, and then to the birth of Jesus. So it's important for Matthew to establish Jesus' origin from the father of their faith, because this letter is being written to other Jews like Matthew, whom Matthew wants to know and tell this story about Jesus. So we learned the significance of genealogy and history to Matthew, to what he's trying to establish here. And now we're going to see how God uses broken people and broken histories for his glory. It takes 42 generations from Abraham to finally get to Jesus, okay? Verse 17, right? What does it say, verse 17? So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. So you add them all up, 42 generations from Abraham to Jesus. And depending on who you talk to, um, that's somewhere between 2,000 years to 3,000 years, right? Depending on who you talk to, who dates, dates it. But you can roughly say probably about 2,000 to 2,500 years of, of history before Christ comes. And when you think about the people, the amount of people in this story, the 42 generations of decisions that had to be made, both perfect and imperfect, both obedient and disobedient. I shared with you one, just one decision that my grandfather made, and then my mother made, and then I was born. 42 generations of decisions had to be made. 
and God orchestrated and God controlled and worked through to bring about the birth of Jesus. And when you look at this list, what jumps out to you? This list are names of broken people. Some normal, some famous, some only famous to Jewish people and to Christians. Some just, you've never heard their story. They're just a name in the list. You literally have no story about them in the Bible. It's just a name. And this list is full of people who have been murderers, adulterers, war leaders, genocide leaders. These people have been complete, some of these completely disobedient to God at times, idolaters. This list is made up of messed up people, even by today's standards. <laughs> completely messed up people. But Matthew, Matthew doesn't only give you the names of the most revered people in this list. He gives you the honest history, the honest history of the Jewish people and of the ancestors of Jesus. I mean, look at some of these. Abraham, Abraham pretended his wife was his sister multiple times so that the leaders of the countries he's within wouldn't get mad at him and kill him. He basically put his wife, his wife in harm's way of being raped or slept with so that he wouldn't get killed. Multiple times. Look at, you look at David. David, it says in verse 6, and David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Matthew could have not even said that. He's the only one that lists that. He says, I want you to rem remember that David had this guy named Solomon through an adulterous relationship, a married woman, and then killed her husband. He was a coward. He, killed, he didn't even personally kill him. He just sent him off to battle, knowing this loyal soldier would go. And he, and he gets killed. And that was David's way of, of tricking the people, tricking the people of Israel that Solomon was his child. It's amazing. Matthew is writing this history, and he wants us to know that Jesus came from a, a group of ancestors that were completely messed up and broken, just like us. He doesn't just include the obedient people. He can't include only perfect people because there were none. They were all messed up. This reinforces something that, from Genesis 50, verse 20, Joseph Joseph um, is in front of his brothers, his 11 brothers, that had sold him into slavery. And he's now, you know, the head of Egypt under Pharaoh. In Genesis 50, verse 20, Joseph said to his brothers, As for you, brothers, you meant evil against me. You sold, you, you, you threw me, you sold me into slavery because you, didn't, you were jealous of me. You were jealous that our dad gave, us, gave me that colorful coat. You were jealous of the dreams I had and you sold me into slavery. You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. You thought you were selling me to slavery with this evil intention. God had a plan through that. God saved the people of Israel from starvation because of that. You think about every single decision in these 42 generations, 
God had complete control of the direction it was going to go. God was able to use the mistakes and the failures of every single generation, even the evil intentions, to create the plan that would eventually lead to Jesus. Maybe you're asking yourself, can, somebody, can God use somebody like me, somebody with my messed up history, my messed up life, my imperfect talents, my terrible words in South Burlington at 11 o'clock on a sunny morning, can God use my life here in Vermont to do something spectacular, something radical for him? I got to believe he can. He's used 42 generations of messed up people to bring the Savior into the world. He can use you too. He can use us. He can use this church. This origin story is not just significant to Jesus, right? But we talked about how it's significant to the Jewish people as a people. The, Matthew summarizes the history of the Jewish people up to Jesus in three parts. Abraham, you could call that the covenant, the, the first covenant, the original covenant. David, you can call that the establishment of the kingdom, right? David brings the kingdom into the world stage. And then Babylon, or exile, the deportation to Babylon, or exile, when basically it marks the destruction of the kingdom of Israel. So Matthew starts with Abraham, the one that God makes this first covenant with, that eventually leads to the nations that will come out for him, which includes Israel, ultimately is Israel. And then David is the king. And notice how in verse 6, David's the only one given a title in all of the genealogy. Verse 6, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. There's actually other kings listed after David. Solomon's a king. Roboam's a king. These are, these are all king descendants. But Matthew wanted to make sure, you know, to, to show that David was a significant marker to the genealogy or the people of Israel. And he was. He was the one who brought the people of Israel to the world stage. He accomplished what his father, what uh, the previous king, not his father, the previous king, Saul, could not accomplish. And he was the anointed king by God. He was the king after God's own heart. He's the most revered king in Jewish history. But even then, David, like I said, committed murder, committed adultery. He wasn't perfect. But God promised the Savior eventually through David's lineage. Or you can look at the deportation, right? The, the Abraham, the covenant, David, the kingdom, deportation, Babylon. And look in verse 12. And after the deportation to Babylon, and then verse 11, at the time of the deportation to Babylon, it's the only event listed in the genealogy. Matthew doesn't skip it and just name people, right? It's an event, whereas the other markers are people. The deportation is an event. Why is, this such an ev- uh, why is this such an important event to list in the genealogy? Because there are so many events that happen to people of Israel. He could list anything. Why did he list this? He didn't even list their entrance into the land of Canaan. He didn't even list their leaving Egypt as slaves. Why did he list this event? This event is such a significant marker for the people of Israel because it mean, meant the, 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 the ultimate destruction of their kingdom and their forever identity after that as a people in exile. They're marred by this identity now. They're marked. 
We are a people in exile. To this day, if you talk to the Jewish people, they don't have ultimate control or kingdom reign like they did back then. Even in Israel, where, where they are now, they don't have ultimate control of all the lands and all the areas that they used to. The armies are not the same. Nothing's the same. To them, that was the epic peak of their kingdom as a people. And so the deportation meant the destruction of that and no longer being marked as a powerful kingdom. They would ever be marked as a people in exile. And then 14 generations later is the birth of Jesus. So if this is so important, if if history can be so important to a people, what can we learn about ourselves, about New King Church? What can we learn about history, about New King Church and our origin story? Well, if you ask most churches, most churches would start like New King does on our website, where we start with the founders of the church, Ben and his family. And you know, if you know the story, Ben and his family, they planted a church in southern Vermont years ago. It was great. It's still going. And then they went back to Georgia, but they were called to come back. They really felt their hearts were still in Vermont. So they came up to Burlington. They connected with the church called Burlington City Church. And um, at the time, there was a transition that was happening, and the founder of Burlington City Church stepped down, and Ben was called to replant the church into a new church called New King Church. And that was three and a half years ago. And so three and a half years ago, New King Church started. And that could be the story, the origin story that we tell, and that's often the story we tell to people. But I would be remiss to, to ignore the fact that the building we're in, the building we're meeting in, actually was started by the Southern Baptist denomination. And the Southern Baptist denomination in 1961 didn't have a church in Vermont. It was the only state left without a church in the U.S. And so a group of Southern Baptist families moved up from the South for jobs in, in Vermont, IBM, and other places. And they got together, they raised a bunch of money, and they bought the land, this property here. And a, a young couple lived in a home, and they built this barn house. We call it the barn house where Aaron lives. And they met in that barn house, the first Southern Baptist church in 1963. And then they raised enough money again and then built this building. And we, as New King Church, years later, after that church shut down, it was called South Burlington Baptist Church, after it closed down and other churches tried to relaunch, the owners of the Baptist Convention, they, were, they owned the property, they heard about what we were doing with New King, learned that we were, we were praying for a new facility, and they called us and asked if we wanted a place. And they gave it to us. They donated us outright, no, no cash. It was completely free. So I would be remiss to say that that's not part of our story because we're literally meeting in a building that was given to us by the Southern Baptists. But then I can't stop there because the Southern Baptists also have a history. They also have a story that we're connected with because we're a part of the Southern Baptist denomination. The denomination started in May of 1845 when 400,000 uh, Baptists met together in Georgia with 300 pastors and church leaders and decided that they would start the Southern Baptist denomination because the 
National Baptist Group of America wouldn't appoint missionaries that had slaves. And these 400,000 church, uh, church members wanted to be able to have slaves and wanted, they didn't want their denomination to make a moral decision or biblical decision that slaves weren't okay. So the Southern Baptists, these 400,000 people met, they got together, and they formed this new denomination split from the Northern Baptists because of slavery. They wanted the right to own slaves. Now, of course, the Southern Baptists, it's been almost 200 years since then, 1845 to now, and they've obviously denounced that decision. They've denounced racism. They are they have black pastors, black leaders, multi-ethnic leaders, Asian leaders, Hispanic leaders throughout the convention throughout, and that have planted churches. But they're still dealing with their slaveholding and racist past even till today. They can't ignore the fact that they were started as a slave-holding denomination. And that's why they started. They can't ignore that fact. They have to admit it and deal with it and the repercussions of it 200 years later. But today, the Southern Baptist Convention, the Southern Baptist denomination, accounts for over 5% of the U.S. population. Okay, that's 16 million people that are part of this denomination. It is by far the largest denomination, Protestant denomination, in the U.S. No single Protestant denomination comes close to it. So millions and millions and millions and millions of people have learned about God, have given their faith to Jesus, have been baptized through this denomination, this broken, messed up denomination that started because of slave owning. So just like Jewish history, New King's history is filled with a broken people, and our connections are filled with a broken past. I didn't even go back hundreds of years before that when just denominations and churches were starting during the colonization of America and all the complicity they were and all the sins that were committed then. We can try to ignore this history and our connection with it, with it or we can accept it as a part of our story, just like Matthew did and the Jewish people did as a part of their story, that they were part of ancestors in a lineage made up of broken and messed up people who all needed a Savior, just like us. And you know what? Like, the past three and a half years, New King Church, and even during this pandemic, God has used people in this church, and God has used this church to save people. There's story after story after story of people who have met Jesus for the first time because of this church's existence. There's people who have never heard about Jesus but for this church's existence. There's people during the pandemic that we've baptized, that came to faith in their homes, in front of their computer screens, because of the gospel being preached, because of this church's existence. In spite of the messed up 
and broken people that lead and are part of this church. God has used us, New King Church. So, we learned the significance of the genealogy of history. We learned how God uses broken people and broken histories to glorify himself. And finally, we see that Jesus is the defining mark of our history. Verse 17, so all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Matthew ends the genealogy with Jesus as the ultimate marker of history for the Jewish people and for us. And then Matthew spends the next 27 chapters telling you about the life of this amazing person, Jesus, whom he had the first-hand opportunity to meet and walk with. For the Jewish people, the exile, the Babylon, was not the end of their story. It doesn't have to be the end. The first followers of Jesus were Jewish. The first church was Jewish. That is the defining marker of their history, if they allow it to be, if they'll embrace it. For most of us in this room, Jesus is the defining mark of our life. Why are you here on a Sunday morning at 11 when it's hot outside and it's amazing and beautiful in Vermont? Why are you here? Why are people watching at home or listening? Because Jesus is a defining mark of your life. You have this story that's life before Jesus, when I met him, and life after Jesus. We call that your testimony. It's the story of your salvation. It's the story of when you begin to walk with Jesus, right? It's such significant marker of history and is the defining mark of your life. And Jesus is saying to you, is saying to me, is saying to humanity, I want to be that defining mark of your life. I want to be that kind of person where it's so important that you would reorient your whole life around that moment. Matthew's whole life changed. Matthew's whole life changed. He no longer was a tax collector defined as a traitor against his own people. He was now a follower of Jesus. He's now considered in history, in the annals of history, an apostle, one of the 12 disciples. It completely changed his life. For those of you here, those of you listening or watching, for those of you who do not know Jesus yet, like as this person, Jesus is inviting you to be that in your life. He's inviting you, like he invited Matthew, to follow him. And he's saying to you, you don't have to come with everything figured out. You don't have to come completely woke. You don't have to come with knowing what your messed up past is already and every single sin, you need to come forward and say, I'm willing to follow. I'm willing to submit. I'm willing to accept this gift you're giving me, this gift of salvation that you made possible on the cross by going there, breaking your body, spilling your blood for us, and dying for our sins so that we could have a relationship with your father, with your dad, God. Let me pray for this time.
Lord Jesus, thank you for using messed up and broken people like us. Messed up and broken people like Abraham, all the way to Joseph and Mary. And thank you for bringing the perfect person, Jesus, into the world and into our lives. We ask, Lord, that for those listening, for those in this room, that maybe Jesus isn't something, somebody they have yet committed to, a person that you don't know, they're still seeking, they're still figuring things out, Lord, I pray you would move in their hearts, you would compel them to come to you, to start this friendship, this relationship, to just give themselves over and to say, Jesus, I want to follow you like Matthew. I want a life change like Matthew had. I want you to use my life for an amazing story that will impact the kingdom. And I want to admit my broken past and my broken history is not going to stop you from doing something with me. Thank you, Lord, that none of us can claim that we came to you perfect. None of us can claim that we came to you understanding the depth of our brokenness. And we thank you, Lord, that you orchestrated our stories and the grand story of history to your son, Jesus. And we worship you today. We praise you today at this time. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, as we uh, get ready to close, um, I want to give you an opportunity to give if you'd like to. We have a, a bowl in the back and, um, and just an update on our giving that last week Michael shared if you weren't here. But um, praise God, throughout this whole pandemic, our giving has actually increased. And that is just a, a testimony to God's faithfulness uh, to this church, to his church, to his work. Um, and so thank you. To those of you who've continued to give just faithfully, um, if you would like to start giving and, and you um, want to set up giving online, that's the way that most people give here at New King. You can go to our website and do that through the giving tab. Um, and some would like to give to benevolence. We have a, a benevolence fund that, that the Lord has given us the opportunity to help people in need in, in several instances. And so if you want to give specifically to that benevolence fund, you can do that. Um, we also want to just encourage you to be generous people. The, the cool thing about, you know, th this is a gospel that changes our entire lives. You know, we're, we are people who have been formed, shaped by the gospel. And the gospel tells us that God was generous to the point of giving his own son, that Jesus was generous to the point of laying down his own life for us. And so as a people who have been forgiven of all of our sins, who have received and received and received, we can freely give. And so we just want to encourage you to continue to be a generous church um, in the way that you have been. Um, next week, we will continue in this series, Kingdom Come. I'll pick up where Michael left off. We'll start looking at the birth of Jesus and the significance of the things that we learn about his birth. I'm really excited about that. Um, and so pray with me and we will uh, wrap this up. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the opportunity just to worship with your people in person. God, we, um, we took that for granted for a long time, and uh, we don't anymore. It is wonderful to be together and to worship together and to hear your word preached. And um, 
Father, would you just encourage your people as we go from here? Um, just fill up our faith, Lord, and give us that joy that we had when we first believed, Lord. Help us to see how incredible your grace is that you work through broken people. You save broken people, and then you work through broken people, Lord. And no matter what our past is, you will use us if we will just surrender to you and let you use us. So thank you for that, God. Um, would you just be glorified through our lives? In Jesus' name, amen. We'll see you next week.